Hey, get your Bibles out and turn real quickly to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to look at verses 3 through 5 in just a minute as we wrap up, conclude, put a bow on a series of studies we've been in over the last several, several weeks, most of the summer, on angels and demons. We've been looking at learning what the Bible really teaches we started off by looking at what the Bible teaches about the presence of angels. They are real. They exist. Then we looked at the personality of angels. What do they do? They're powerful. Uh, then we looked at your personal angel. That is what some people refer to as your guardian angel. And then a couple of weeks ago, we made a shift. We turned and we began to look at the perverted angel. And then last week, we decided we're going to continue this just a little bit. And uh, by learning about how to have victory in this spiritual war that we're in, by learning about our adversary in the spirit world, uh, the Bible calls him Satan or the devil. And we saw that his goal is destruction. His method is deception. If you're here this morning and you're lost, for example, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you are lost. The devil wants you to stay right where you are, right on the track where you are, headed to the same place so that you end up in hell. He wants to deceive you so that you end up in hell forever and ever and ever. Now, if you're here this morning and you are a Christian, you're saved, he wants to harass you, he wants to tempt you, he wants to condemn you so that you won't be any use whatsoever for the cause of Jesus. Jesus Christ. And so this morning, again, we're going to wrap it up. We're going to put a bow on this series. We'll start a new one in a couple of weeks, but we're going to learn about this morning how to have freedom in the spirit world. You're there in 2 Corinthians, but let me draw your attention real quickly to the screen to another verse. Paul said to the church at Galatia, he said in Galatians 5.1, stand fast therefore in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. And so he's talking there to Christians. He's talking there to stay folks, those who have had their names written down in the Lamb's book of life. And what Paul is saying is, is that once Jesus sets you free, don't go back into bondage. I shared this last night on social media, and I'm just make sure you didn't miss it. It's a tremendously important truth. And that is the fact that God's desire for your life is freedom. The devil's desire for your life is bondage. That's what the devil wants. The Lord wants you to be free. The devil wants you to, to be in bondage. And so as you look there in Galatians 5.1, it, it seems to me, and again, I'm from Tennessee, but it seems to me that that verse teaches that it is possible for Christians to lose the joy of their salvation. Not, not talking about losing your salvation. I don't believe that. But I'm talking about the fact that it is possible for a Christian to lose the joy of their salvation. And does that verse seem to teach that it is possible to do that? That once you've been set free, it is possible to be entangled again in the bondage of the devil. And I believe that it does teach that. You know, Jesus, rather David said in Psalm 51, he cried out, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with by your generous spirit. So I believe that the Bible teaches that once you are truly, really, genuinely saved, you can never lose your salvation, but you can lose the joy 
of your salvation. Now, I've got both my hands up because I know what I'm about to ask. Anybody here this morning ever lost the joy of your salvation? Can I see your hand? I got both mine up, right? And so, yeah, it's possible to lose the joy of your salvation. You can't lose your salvation, but you can lose the joy of your salvation, and you can get in bondage to sin even as a Christian. And I'm talking to some folks here this morning, I guarantee you, that there are those of you sitting here this morning, and you got saved, you got set free, but you have willingly and volitionally decided to engage in habitual sins. That means you do them over and over and over again. And then as a result of that, you found yourself in spiritual chains, in bondage, and you almost feel compelled to do certain things that you know that you shouldn't be doing. You know they're not right. You know that God's not honored by them. You know that you shouldn't be doing them, but here you are, you're you're doing what you do not want to do, and you're struggling and you're fighting. There's this huge war that is taking place within your heart and your life. Now, everybody's in a war, but for you, particularly in this particular area, there is a struggle, and the devil is knocking your block off. He is cleaning your clock. He is whipping you every single day, and you can't seem to get any victory over it. If that's you today, then my prayer is that you would be set free because whom the Son sets free is free indeed. So you're there in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. All of that's free. Look there beginning in verse number 3. 2 Corinthians 10 beginning in verse number 3. Notice what Paul says. Paul says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war. Say war. War. We do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down of strongholds. Now, that's what we're talking about this morning, strongholds. So what is a stronghold? A stronghold are those fortresses, beachheads, base of operations. It's a toehold that the devil gets in your life. And as a result, he uses that little spot, that little space in your life to attack your life as a Christian. Let me kind of give you a little secret here this morning. So if you were to go to some of the other churches in the area, they might talk about strongholds, but they probably wouldn't tell you what a stronghold is. I'm going to tell you what a stronghold is. And here's what a stronghold is. Strongholds are thoughts. That's what strongholds are. Strongholds are ungodly thoughts that the devil places into your mind because you gave him a toehold, a base of operation, a fortress as a result of some habitual sin. I'm not saying he possessed you because I don't believe the devil can possess a Christian. I believe, again, once you are saved, you are always saved. But the devil can then use that little ground that you gave over to him in order to uh, tempt you and condemn you and, and harass you. And he can have that stronghold in your life. And here's how I know that strongholds are thoughts. Look in verse 5. Casting down Arguments, literally thoughts, imaginations, reasonings, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought, say every thought, every thought thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So did you see that? The battle, the spiritual battle that you're in, is in the mind and for the mind. And it takes place in the thoughts, the imaginations, the arguments, the reasonings of your mind. So 
Let's get into this this morning. We don't have a lot of time. We've got a lot of ground to cover if I want to get you out of here before the Methodists make it down to Monterey's, okay? I told the early service I, I joined the Methodist family. I married into a Methodist family years ago, and uh, I always wonder how they beat the Baptist down to the local restaurant. And, and again, I know all the passcodes, the secret handshakes. What you may not have ever heard before is our Methodist friends, they build subways up underneath their buildings that go to the local restaurants. You're never going to beat them. Uh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But let's listen real quickly here this morning, and let's learn how to have victory in spiritual warfare. Not a fancy outline, not, a, not alliterated, not, doesn't rhyme at all, not even really balanced. Just write down a few things here this morning. Number one, if you're going to have spiritual freedom in your life as a Christian, number one, you have got to admit and identify your need for freedom. That's the very first thing that you've got to do. And it's amazing to me how many people refuse to admit that they have a problem. There, there are very few people that are really just ready to, to admit that they have a problem. Whenever we begin to bring up issues like we're going to talk about this morning, what they'll always do so often is they will point across the room, point at somebody else and say, boy, you ain't kidding, preacher. That dude over there, he's got a problem. Or boy, that's right, preacher. I know about her and she really has a problem. Y you know what? Maybe we ought to quit looking out the window and start looking in the mirror, right? It's me, it's me, it's me, O oh Lord, who's standing in the need of prayer. And there are some of you right here this morning, and you just need to be honest and admit it, that you don't have it all together and you struggle. There are some deacons here this morning, and you just need to admit Hey, pastor, I don't have it all together, and I'm struggling. There are some Sunday school teachers this morning, and you just need to be open and honest and admit it. Pastor, I don't have it all together. I'm struggling. There are some parents who need to just admit today, I don't have it all together, and I'm struggling. And even some young people today, I don't have it all together. I am struggling. You've got to admit that you have a problem. You say, but pastor, you just don't understand. Nobody struggles in this area the way that I do. You, you just don't understand. You know, it's almost like we have the idea that the people that are written about in the pages of this book were some sort of super saints who never had any issues. I believe that the greatest Christian who ever lived was a guy by the name of the Apostle Paul. You say, what about Jesus? Well, Jesus wasn't a Christian. He was the Christ. Paul, I believe, was the greatest Christian who ever lived. And Paul struggled. Noah, Noah struggled. Noah got drunk. I'm not telling you that you ought to do that. Noah got drunk. Abraham lied about who his wife was. Jacob was a low-down, good-for-nothing, scheming, lying uh, scoundrel who stole his brother's birthright and blessing. Moses had a bad temper. God would say, speak to the rock. He'd get mad and hit it. Uh, we're not even talking about what he did with the Egyptian in the, in the, in the desert. Uh, Moses had a bad temper, and it cost him being able to go into, into the, the promised land. Elijah called down fire from heaven, then tucked his tail and ran from one wicked woman named Jezebel. David committed adultery and murder. Samson was a womanizer. Solomon married all of those women who turned him away from Jehovah God and caused him to start worshiping Ashtaroth and Moloch and all those pagan gods. By the way, time out. You want to know where I think a lot of his problem came from? So I get it mixed up, and so I'm not one of those guys that's really good. You know where I'm going, don't you? And so I'm not one of those guys who's really good at Bible trivia, and I can't decide, I can't remember whether it's 300 wives and 700 concubines or, 700 con or 300 concubines and 700 wives. 
Parents, explain to your kids what concubines are later. But I don't know, a thousand, there's a thousand women. You say, man, that's, that's a lot. Yeah, it's a thousand mother-in-laws. Do you understand that? <laughs> man, that explains a lot, right? And when you get mad at me, just send your letter, hand address to Dr. Josh Lancaster, 3917 Washington Road. Moses, Solomon, and even Paul struggled. Paul had a hard, he was hard-nosed. He had a hard time forgiving folks. And so you had John Mark wanting to go back on a missionary journey with him. And Paul said, ain't no way I'm letting you go back. You little mama's boy, you left me last time. No, no, no way I'm going to take you back with me this time. Then you have Barnabas step in, and, and Barnabas kind of helps take care of the situation. Aren't you thankful for the Barnabases of the Bible? I, I'm just telling you that we all struggle. You say, well, Pastor, how in the world can God ever use a, a, a vessel that has ever sinned? Are you listening? It's all he can use because it's all he has. I love it what one of my early mentors said. God can hit a big lick with a crooked stick. Aren't you thankful for that? God can hit a big lick with a crooked stick. So what are some of the strongholds that we struggle with? What are some of the strongholds that the devil uses as beachheads and, and toeholds and, and fortresses in our lives to, to harass us and test us and tempt us and, and condemn us and hurt us? Let me just give you a few of them here this morning. We're not going to be exhausted. We're going to deal with several of them. Number one, fear. That's one of the biggest ones. Just jot that down somewhere. Fear. The devil is an intimidator, and he will try to put fear in your heart. Anxiety, worry. You know, you know what worry is? I heard this years ago. Worry is interest paid on something that might not even ever happen. And there's some of you here this morning, you are a worry wart. I'm not going to ask your spouse to raise their hand and embarrass you, but you know who you are. You worry about the past, you worry about the present, you worry about the future. If you are constantly and consistently anxious or fearful or worrying, that is a stronghold. Because the Bible says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And the Bible also tells us to be anxious or fearful for nothing. In other words, if you know Jesus, you should have no fear. That's a stronghold. Second one is anger or wrath. Can't control yourself. You blow your top. I'm not going to lay all my dirty laundry out here for you this morning, but that's one of those things that the Lord had to work in my life. When I was growing up, it was a lot like my kids, and it explains why we have some of the issues we have around our house uh, from time to time. I, I was, when I was growing up especially, I had a really short fuse, fuse attached to a great big bang. And yet the Lord allowed me to have victory in that area. But I still have to stay on top of that thing because the devil knows where my buttons are. He knows how to push them. And here's what I know this morning as well. That there are some of you all here this morning because I know you. And you have the exact same problem. You know what it is? It is a stronghold of anger. A stronghold of wrath. You say, well, Pastor, it's not a stronghold. It's just the way that I was raised. And you just don't understand the family that I was raised in, Pastor. I mean, it was, you go to war every day. You get up and you fought for what you have. I, I, I am the way that I am because my mama was that way and my daddy was that way. My brothers and sisters are just that way. No, I'm telling you that if you can't control your temper, it's a stronghold. It's a stronghold. And since I see that I got your attention with that and you're really excited, let's just move on. Bitterness. It's not getting any easier, by the way. An unforgiving spirit. 
Somebody did you wrong on the third Thursday of May in 1981, and you have never forgotten it. Right? Bitter. Resentful. There are some of you here this morning, you're bitter over the divorce your parents had 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. That's a stronghold. There are those of you sitting here, there are those of you sitting here this morning, and you, you had somebody mistreat you when you were in third grade. They made fun of you. They did something, and, and you've never gotten over that. I'm just, I've said this before, but until somebody treats you worse than you treated Jesus, you have to forgive them. What is bitterness? Bitterness is an acid that destroys its own container. It's what bitterness is. Number next, I told you, not getting any easier. Lust. Why don't you listen to me? There are some of you sitting here this morning and you're hooked on pornography. That's a stronghold. That's a stronghold the devil has in your life. Some of you all have sexually immoral thoughts. You're involved in sexual immorality. And I don't know any other way to say it except to say it this way. There is something unusually demonic about sexual immorality. Listen to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, 15. He said, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members, literally unite with a harlot? Certainly not. I'm just telling you here this morning that if you do that, you're messing up big time. And if you are involved in sexual immorality, adultery, homosexuality, fornication, pornography, I'm just telling you what you're doing is you are opening up the doors to your heart, home, and life and allowing demons to come in. Amen. Yeah, it got quiet in here a little bit, didn't it? Why? Because the devil's a pervert. The devil's a pervert. And you've got to be very careful not to give him a place, a foothold, a, a toehold, a beachhead in your life through sexual immorality. So for the sake of time, let me give you just the rest. It's kind of a list, by no means, again, exhaustive. Number, number next is alcohol. Oh, you didn't even want to write that one down, did you? Sometimes alcohol, drugs, those can be strongholds. I'll prove it to you. So you said, I knew I shouldn't have come here this morning. We, we have Coca-Cola. I'm a Coca-Cola fan. We love Coca-Colas. But you know, if I were to say to you this morning, I'll prove it to you. If I were to say to you this morning, you shouldn't drink Coca-Cola. It's bad for your teeth, make you fat, spikes your insulin, bad for your pancreas, uh, gives you wind splint, all the things bad for your bones. You, you ought not to drink Coca-Cola. Not one person in here would get really upset. I can't believe you. You have no right to say that. You, but if I say, you shouldn't drink alcohol. Oh, you have no right to say that to me. You know why? Because it's a stronghold. Because it's a stronghold. And I'll just tell you, this is your pastor. I never get called out in the middle of the night to where there's a domestic or somebody killed on the side of the road that alcohol is not involved. And it can become a stronghold, right? It's a stronghold. Uh, lying, F, because y'all got really excited about that. Good. Lying, the inability to tell the truth. G, gossip, slander, malicious speech. H, cursing. Some of y'all, you can't even talk without profanity. Now, I'm from, I'm from, the, from, I'm from Tennessee. We, we, didn't, we didn't 
We didn't curse, we cussed. Right? There's a difference. For those of you that struggle with profanity, that way I'm an equal opportunity offender this morning, just kind of buckle your pew belts. If I hadn't got to you yet, give me just a minute, I'll get there. If you're one of those folks and you can't even talk without cussing, you know what Benjamin Franklin said? Benjamin Franklin said that profanity is the strongest expression of a feeble mind. What he meant was you're not even smart enough to know the words that you ought to use, so you back up and punt and use the words that you know to use. What you really need to do is repent and get a dictionary and learn to read it. It's what you need to do, right? Yeah. Cursing. <laughs> Next, self-pity. That's another big one, self-pity. Self-pity will get you into all kinds of trouble. It'll make the, you think that you owe yourself something. Listen, you do not owe yourself to sin. Just because you had a rough upbringing, just because your mom or daddy did that to you, just because you had that happen to your job, just because your spouse, no, you do not owe yourself to sin. Self-pity will get you into all kinds of trouble. I could go on and on and on, but let me just say, you've got to admit that you have a need, and you've got to identify what that need is. Here's the second main point this morning. I told you it's not fancy. Number next, ask, ask Jesus to set you free. Ask Jesus to set you free. Let me tell you something this morning. I can't set you free. Dr. Lancaster can't set you free. Dr. Sansom can't set you free. I was going to say Billy Graham can't set you free. He's, he's breathing heaven's air this morning. Franklin Graham can't set you free. The Pope for sure can't set you free. The only one who can set you free is Jesus. But listen, you've got to ask him. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you three little steps this morning on how to ask him. So you've identified that area, that stronghold, that fortress. You've got to ask the Lord to set you free. How do you do it? So get your pen, your pencil, your eyeliner, your lipstick, mascara, and grab out your uh, Zaxby's napkin. If you don't have any of that, pull out your phone. Use the notes app on there. For those of you that have Samsung's, I don't have a clue. Uh, just use whatever you can. Write this down somewhere. How do you ask the Lord to, to set you free? Number one, you've got to understand what a stronghold is. Remember again, first or Second Corinthians chapter 10, we're talking about taking every thought captive to the, to the obedience of Christ. And then Paul says in verse 4 that our weapons are not fleshly, they're not carnal, but mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. And so let me kind of dig a little deeper here. Are y'all still paying attention? Sometimes I don't know whether you're getting mad, just getting quiet, paying attention, or I'm talking so fast that you don't have a clue what I've said. It's probably the last one, so just let me slow down. Let me tell you what a stronghold is. We know it's a thought. But it's more than that. When you continually dwell on sin in your thought life and then you act on those thoughts, you give the devil a place in your life and you have a mental and spiritual fortress behind which the devil can hide and harass you. Amen. That's a stronghold. I just said a mouthful. I hope you were listening. Some of you all this morning have mental fortresses that the devil has, is hiding behind in your life. You say, wait a minute, Pastor. I, I thought you said the devil couldn't bother me since I was a Christian. I never said that. I never said that at all. I said if you're a Christian, the devil cannot possess you. I never said he couldn't harass you. He absolutely can. If you're a Christian, the devil cannot possess you 
because the Holy Spirit and an unholy spirit cannot occupy the same space, if you will, cannot occupy the same life, but he can absolutely harass you. He can mess with your mind. The thought life is such a big deal because what you think about is so very, very important. Dr. Rogers always said, you sow a thought, you reap a deed. You sow a deed, you reap a, a habit. You sow a habit, you reap a, a character. You sow a character, you reap a, a destiny. And it all starts with that thought. Now, I guarantee you, the guy that walked into that Dollar General store yesterday afternoon in Jacksonville and shot up and killed all those folks, he thought about it before he did it. You get out here and you have an affair, you're going to think about it before you do it. If you get out here and you slander or gossip against somebody, you're going to think about it before, before you do it. That's what a stronghold is. A stronghold is a fortress. It is a house of thought. And there are those of you sitting out there this morning and your thought life is out of control. Absolutely out of control. You're sitting there this morning and you've already, you've already tuned me. I mean, the first two minutes in, I hit it. You went, done, turned it. You've already turned me off, tuned me out. You're not paying one bit of attention. And if you're not careful, you're going to miss something that could really, really help you this morning because you don't want to give up on your thoughts. That's where you're at this morning. You say, Pastor, you just don't understand it's better for me to think about it than to do it because thoughts are not as bad as actions. Who told you that? It's made out of the same stuff. Jesus said, if you look at a woman with lust, with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery in your heart already. Jesus said, if you get angry and you hate your brother, you've already committed murder. It may not be the exact same thing, but it's made out of the same stuff. It's all sin. It's all sin. Every murder started with a thought. Every act of adultery, fornication, sexual immorality started with a thought. Every gossip, every bit of slander started with a thought. I'm telling you, every sin starts with a thought. And so the very first thing that you've got to do is you've got to understand what a stronghold is, and then B, you've got to confess and renounce every known sin. Everybody knows very familiar. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? Let me give you another good one to kind of go back and learn and memorize. Isaiah 55, 6 and 7. Listen to what Isaiah said. We know the first part. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He, may, while he is near. Verse 7. Let the wicked forsake His way and the unrighteous man His what? His what? His thoughts, that's where the strongholds are. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. I'm just telling you this morning that God will have great compassion on you today. God will abundantly pardon you today. But you've got to confess it. You've got to forsake it. And, and by the way, confession isn't just admitting that what you've done is sin. It's being willing to forsake that sin. That, makes you make, that means you make no provision for the flesh. That may mean that some of you young men and young women need to break up with that girlfriend or boyfriend. That may mean that some of you folks need to quit going and hanging out with the folks you run around with because they're taking you places and getting you to do things that you shouldn't do, and then you post it all over Facebook. What kind of foolishness is that? My filter work. You ought to be so proud.
proud of me. That means that for some of you all, you might need to find another place to work so you won't be around that person no more. Anymore, I'm sorry, anymore. You see, it isn't just telling God that you're sorry for your, what you've done. It means that you forsake that sin, and then you do everything in your power not to be put in the place where you would sin again. And so I'm going to ask you this morning to identify that sin. I'm going to ask you to admit that you had that stronghold, and then I'm going to ask you to confess that sin and repent of that sin, forsake that sin. But here's the third step, and here's what most folks just absolutely miss. See, see is take authority over the enemy. Now, see, here's where some of you all, I knew it. I, I knew it. I could tell by the way he talked. He's one of them charismatics. That's what he is. I knew it. No, I'm a happy Baptist, but I'm not a charismatic. But I do believe the Bible does teach some very important truths about how do you get victory in your life, and this is one of them. So here's what you need to know, and we're about done. The devil's a legalist. Did you know that? The devil's a legalist. And what do I mean by that? Well, it means that he's going to stay around and harass you and bother you as long as you let him. As long as you give him ground, as long as you give him space, he's going to stay right there and he's going to wear you out. He's going to bother you because if, if you let him stay there, then he has a right to do it. If you won't give up your sin, you're not going to get any freedom. I'm not trying to be ugly, but listen, there, there are certain people that would come forward in some of our friend services, get slapped in the head, fall on the ground, and roll around and just act crazy. But I need you to understand that you can get slapped from in the forehead from, in every altar from here to California, and if you don't repent, nothing's going to change. Amen. Nothing's going to change. Have you all, I can see y'all getting really excited. Have you guys been watching the news lately? They've been having all these articles. I mean, I, these, these reports. I, I bet I've seen six or eight of them in the last month on squatters. Have y'all seen that? These people that move into empty houses take over, and you can't get them out. I mean, it's like an act of Congress to get them out. They're squatters. Look right here. The devil's a squatter. The devil's a bum. The devil is a spiritual parasite. And he will stay in your life as long as you let him. You say, well, what do I do? Well, you got to get him out. You say, well, how do I got to get him out? Well, you got to claim victory. You got to claim authority over him. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, you're saved, you're washed in the blood, you're redeemed, your name's in the Lamb's book of life, all those sorts of things. What you do is you confess that sin and you forsake that sin and then you take authority over the devil and you say, you demonic bum, get out of my life. You have no right to be here. You have no authority. I belong to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is in my heart and life. You have no right to be here. And I'm a really literal person. So, uh, if, I mean, I'm just a really literal person. And so, whenever I feel like I need to do this, I, I act it out. You can laugh if you want to. But devil, you get out of my life. I'm going to grab you by the, and I'm going to throw you. So here's the thing. If you ever see me outside of a restaurant doing this right here, mind your own business. Okay? I'm doing. (laughs) 
that's what you do. You take authority. Greater is he who is in you than he who's in the world. Amen. And what you do is you say, you have no right to resist the devil and he'll flee. I believe that's in the book. And what you do is you confess it, you forsake it, and then you take authority. You have no right to be here. Get out, you spiritual bum. That's what you do. Here's the third thing, and we're done. Stay free. You admit and identify. You ask the Lord to set you free, and then you stay free. And by the way, it's a whole lot easier to stay free than it is to get free. It's a whole lot easier to resist the devil than it is to remove him. But how do you do that? How do you stay free? Let me just give you a list. We got, we got to go. Number one, feed on the Word of God. Feed on the Word of God. The battle is in and for your mind. And I need you to, I will never make a statement. Listen, I've been here 11 years. I have never said anything more important for your spiritual life than what I'm about to tell you right now. God made the human brain in such a way that it cannot think two different thoughts simultaneously. You can't do it. So when you have that thought that jumps into your mind, the Bible says you take it captive. By the way, I'm very literal. I literally say, get out of my mind. Devil, get out of my mind. That's why you have to have the Word of God hidden in your heart. So when that ungodly thought jumps up into your mind, you begin to focus on Scripture. Because if you're quoting Scripture, you can't think on that ungodly thought, and the devil can't get a foothold in your life. You feed on the Word of God. Number next, you learn to pray. I talked to one of my kids this morning and said, Hey, How's your Bible time? I said, eh. I said, you need to spend time every day reading your Bible. I know. And then I said, I said like this right here. And I said, and you need to pray a bit. And I said, no, 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 no. Let me rephrase that. You need to learn to talk to God. You need to feed on the Word of God. You need to learn to talk to God. Number next, you need to spend time in worship. That's why it's so very important for you to be here as often as you can. I mean, you say unless you are providentially hindered, you need to have your Baptist backside sitting in that pew every single Sunday morning engaging in corporate worship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And not just on Sunday, you need to have it there in your house. If you're not careful, things can get out of, out of, out of hand in your house. And the devil, so what, what do you do? You put on worship music. Put on praise music. Put on your favorite worship. Put on the, what we're singing here. Put it on there. Turn it up in your house. Put it on the favorite hymns that you love. The devil hates that stuff. He ain't going to hang around. Spend time in worship. Next, you think godly thoughts. Kind of dealt with that already, but whenever you have those thoughts come into your mind that ought not to be there, you think godly thoughts. Not ungodly thoughts, godly thoughts. Because you can't think about two things that are diametrically opposed at the same time. You think godly thoughts, whatever thing is pure, noble, all those things, right? Good report. You think on those things. And then lastly, you keep short accounts with God. What do I mean, what do I mean by that? Ethel Waters used to put it this way. Anybody know who Ethel Waters was? 
Remember Ethel Waters? Ethel Waters put it this way. She said, fess them as you does them, don't bunch them. All right, so for those of you who are Yankees or from Florida, let me explain what she, what she said. Confess your sins as you do them. Don't let them stack up. Fess them as you does them. Don't bunch them. Keep short accounts with God. Start your morning off confessing your sin and asking God to keep you from sin. End your day by confessing your sin and asking God to keep you from sin. Keep short accounts with God. If you'll do this, you will discover that a lot of those things the devil has been using to whoop you with, you're beginning to get the upper hand. You're beginning to get, get victory in. You're getting victory. If you're here this morning and you're lost, you've never been saved. You know what the devil wants you to do today? The devil wants you to get mad over some little thing that I said, tune out, turn me off, and stay on the path you're on, which will end up in hell. And I pray this morning that God's sweet Holy Spirit will take the blinders off of your eyes and allow you to see your, your condition, your ultimate destination and the fact that God loves you so much that he sent Jesus to die on the cross for you so that if you're here this morning and you would repent of your sin and surrender your life to Jesus, Jesus would come into your heart and save you. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian and the devil's got a toehold in your life, he's got a beachhead, a stronghold, my prayer this morning is that you can identify it, you'll admit it, you'll confess it, forsake it, take authority over it in the name of Jesus and learn what it means to live a life of victory today.